everybody. It's Thursday, May 21st, and we are here for a special edition of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia. I'm one of your co-hosts, Cecilia Sepp. I'm the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips. We offer 501c consulting and association management services. I'm here with my co-host and friend, Agnes Amos Coleman. Agnes, would you like to say hello? Thank you, Cecilia. My name is Agnes Amos Coleman. I'm an author and a consultant. And good afternoon, good evening, and good morning to our global audience, wherever you're joining us from. Over to you, Cecilia. Thank you, Agnes. And we're so excited today. We have a member of our global audience as a special guest, Dr. Solomon Arasi. Dr. Arasi is an attorney and security consultant and speaker. He's also published several scholarly papers. He is also a former Inspector General of the Nigerian Police Force. So welcome, Dr. Arasi, and please say hello to our audience. Thank you very much, Cecilia and Agnes, for having me. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. And today, we're here to talk about leading with compassion, because Dr. Arasi speaks on this topic frequently around the world. And uh, he's here today to share with us some of his thoughts on that. So Dr. Rossi, when you were leading the police force, how did you apply compassionate leadership in that situation? Uh, thank you very much again, Cecilia. Um, I was the 18th Inspector General of Police. The Nigerian police force is made up of about 400,000 officers and men spread around 36 states of the Federation including the federal capital territory, Abuja. <clears throat> the landmass of the country is very, very vast. So you can appreciate you know, the difficulty uh, policing a very large country, you know, which is almost the size of the United States of America. But uh, the idea was that we had, I had a vision and I also had a mission. The vision was to have, make sure, ensure that we have a professional police uh, system uh, that the people will respect and that to be able to carry out the mandate of policing in the country. Uh, secondly, we, the administratively, the Inspector General is, the, is in the operational control of the whole 36 states of the Federation and you know, the cap, Federal Capital Territory in Abuja. Though we have some other uh, constitutional bodies that uh, oversee you know, some of our functions. Uh, the National Assembly, both uh, the Senate and the House of Representatives, the Police Service Commission. So it's quite a huge force. And uh, this is the background that we're coming from. And when I took over, the challenge of the mission, carrying out a mission statement is that we, I, I wanted to see how we could win the hearts and minds of you know, the people. Because of the uh, the numeric strength <clears throat> of uh, the men we have. It was not enough to police, you know, every space. We could not dominate every space. So we had to win the hearts and minds of the people, bring them together to start liking the police. Uh, most people, they don't like the police force because when you have, when the governments, they come up with bad policies, it is the law enforcement officers who are asked to actually enforce them. So there is this issue of trust between the police policing uh, organizations and the people. So we had to win their mind to say, oh, policing is not about uh, the people in uniform alone. It also has to do you know, with the generality of the public. 
So that was the background, you know, we took off from. But then how do you now identify things that will motivate the men? That is where the compassion came in from. Um, it is assumed that, it is assumed, you know, that the Nigerian police force is a corrupt, you know, that they are corrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't adhere to human rights uh, principles. And uh, we had to change that narrative. And how do, was I going to do that? I told the men, I said, I can motivate you. If you, ha- if you engage in good conduct, it means you will be promoted as and when you, know, you are entitled to it. And for anything you do, you know, there is always a cost benefit for you know, good conduct. And secondly, we started thinking about their welfare policies. How can you motivate people whose salary is not you know, such that is sufficient to take care of their everyday needs? Mm-hmm. We've now thought about when you send them out on patrol, especially the, uh, the line, the field officers, you must be able to provide you know, the necessary things for them to work with. So the vehicles have to be foiled. You have to give them lunch pack. Then most of them, we were engaged in a lot of um, uh, anti-terrorist activities in the Northeast and dealing with violent crimes also in some areas. So whenever these policemen are involved in these things, uh, sometimes they get killed. And when they get killed, they, they leave widows and orphans. So we said, okay, how do you now encourage these boys to go for such dangerous mission? We had to now organize a scholarship scheme for the children uh, of these uh, men who die, you know, fighting crime. That was a very good motivation for, for them. And uh, it was incorporated. We started encouraging most of their children who were often to go to school and, you know, get scholarship. Their women, we organized for them to have some skill acquisition so that they will be able to fend for themselves. And one of the areas too that uh, we actually thought about reaching out to, to them in terms of welfare was uh, building low-cost houses for them. In, in, in the Nigerian police force, you spend 60 years or 35 years, whichever comes first. And within that period, if you retire, you must be looking forward to, you know, having a place where you can retire to. And we discovered that the junior ranks, they had in that opportunity of having, you know, uh, a place of their own to retire to. So with a cooperative scheme and a mortgage scheme, we're able to arrange for in, in the different locations of the country, two two bedrooms apartments where they can uh, immediately they get into the system, they, we start drawing it from their cooperative funds, uh, very very little on a monthly basis that they will not, not even notice it that they are paying for it, and by the time they are spending about five or ten years, they are already already house owners, so that whenever they retire, they now retire into those uh, into those houses. So those were part of the uh, the welfare package we came up with to, t- to encourage them and tell them that, you know, they have done very, they are doing very well. They are the ones who go out to the highways, you know, at odd hours to go and make sure that our, our societies are safe. They are the ones who are the counter to receive complaints. So they must be treated, you know, with some compassion whenever we are dealing with, uh, with them. 
And you've addressed most of, if not all of, Maslow's hierarchy of needs for people, food, shelter, security. And what I love about your plan, Dr. Razi, is that it took into consideration their families, not just the individuals mm -hmm. that you were personally leading. So how did you, so what is your view on your leading of the families of the police? Did, it seems to me that you did some leadership of the families as well. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. The the families, you know, who we reached out to, especially the the ones that, uh, unfortunately, in uh, in our country, we discover that most of the junior ranks uh, are the lower rung. Uh, they, their wives are not very very skilled. They are not too educated. So whenever anything happens to you know the breadwinner, which is you know the police officer they are always in very dear needs. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, the, uh, the consideration we had that if you reach out for, for them, teach them some skills, uh, skill acquisition, maybe uh, a tailoring, uh, soap making, you know, things that they can use in generating some income, they will start developing confidence in themselves. While their children are being trained, you know, uh, through uh, primary, secondary school, and even those ones who turned out to be uh, highly uh, intellectual, you know, we also give them scholarship to the university levels. So Agnes, I'm sure you have several comments and questions. So I want to hand it over to you for a moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you again, Dr. Arasi. You know, from my perspective, the there is a distinction between a leader and a compassionate leader. And the difference is clear. It's in the legacy that they leave behind. Uh, a leader's legacy is very short-lived and the compassionate leader's legacy is lifelong. And a lot of what you've shared with us here that you've actually incorporated into your leadership style is definitely going to be lasting for generations to come. So we commend you for that. And, and one of the things that I really wanted to talk about here, just it's more of a thought process for you to share and shed light on it for us. But how do you see um, in our world today, in our global economy, and we're, we're dealing with this COVID-19 pandemic that's very global in nature, how do you see leaders in this kind of economy, in this kind of difficulty globally, can begin to adapt and look inward and strive towards that lasting legacy, not just a legacy of a short-term lived legacy, but a legacy that can really benefit the world globally and, and being compassionate, not just being a leader. So I want to kind of get your perspective on that, Dr. Arasi. That's a great question. Thank you very much, uh, Agnes. Uh, well, the, the, the world cannot be the same again after, you know, uh, this pandemic, uh, because we suddenly discovered that uh, uh, money is now is just paper money. Uh, it's not going to solve most of the problems that, yes. uh, you know, we are dealing with now. Right. Everybody is, uh, there is palpable fear in the system. And everybody's looking inwards to see how they can, you know, look within their environment and try and see how they can come up with innovative, you know, ideas in trying to deal with, you know, the issues we are dealing with. In, for, for example, in Africa, we have neglected uh, for a long time uh, cultivation of our Greek agriculture mm -hmm. 
and all those type of things. Uh, we've been we've been spoiled with uh, the oil money, and now most of uh, the vessels they are on the high sea, and nobody is actually buying them. And uh, where everybody is scared that in the next uh, six months or so, if it continues this way, a lot of people will lose their jobs. Uh, there will be a lot of you know restructuring within the ministries. So which means that everybody now has to start developing you know their individual skills to be able to survive and you know in the new world that uh, is going to be created after you know the the pandemic thank you so dr arasi you you just hit on something i i think we've all noticed and the ongoing atmosphere of fear and as we know fear is not a good place from which to make decisions so how can leaders inspire people to embrace and then move through their fear to move on to what the world's going to be like later? Uh, well, um, it, it requires a lot of uh, you know, strategic thinking. Mm -hmm. Leaders have to start thinking differently, um, looking at the people you are leading, trying to inspire them, trying to give them the confidence that, you know, things can be better. Uh, when, you, when you elicit the fear in them, then you are, <clears throat> you're, you, you, you are, you are missing the point. You know, you, there must be a way you must give them that self-confidence to say that things were, are going to be okay. And uh, it depends on how you are able to, on your own, uh, come up with innovative ideas on how these things can be better. And by, you know, not creating fears in their mind to say, oh, uh, things are going to, you know, things are really bad and, you know, it cannot be better. So it's, um, it's, an, it's, it's a way of uh, the, the leaders who want to advise uh, that uh, most of the leaders should be able to look at their people and give them that courage to tell them that they can confront, you know, this uh, danger that is in front and they can also surpass it. So kind of bringing it back to our subject of leading with compassion, how, what is your definition of leading with compassion? It's having that empathy, you know, putting yourself in the position of, you know, the people you are leading. Supposing you are not as, you know, uh, you were not as um, lucky as they were to get to the position you were. How? do you think you know you would have looked like so you you must be able to put the people that you are dealing with in your own position and say supposing i, I was the one who was there how would i have you know dealt with this issue so it is actually having been empathetic you know about the people that you know you are leading empathy is so important in building mm -hmm. relationships i'm glad you brought that up so so many people don't apply it and they're not considerate. And I think many times it's because in, in our daily lives, it's about us. It's about mm -hmm. our experience in our day. And we don't think about the other people that we're encountering during the day. And if you were teaching someone, Dr. Rossi, how to be empathetic, what kind of steps might you advise them to do? Because trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes is a start, but there, there has to be steps to do that. So how might you coach someone into doing that? Uh, well, um, it's uh, about emotional intelligence. It's also mm -hmm. about emotional intelligence. Uh, how are you able to uh, look at the person and say, you can be better. 
you can do things better. So you, uh, that way, you continue to encourage them. And one area where I did not mention earlier was the area of training. Uh, we, we took training very seriously because if you don't teach your subordinates how to go about doing certain things, they will not be able to do it very well. So we took training very, very, you know, both domestic training and international training. We exposed them to international best practices. Uh, we got the uh, American groups, the FBI, we got the Germans, we got the uh, Metropolitan Police officers. So we're able to expose them and give them this self-confidence that they actually they can do these things. And with training and retraining, you can always, you know, inspire people to, you know, rise above, you know, their present situations in life. And that's something that I noticed earlier when you were describing the system you created to kind of change public perception of the Nigerian police force and to give them the self-confidence to go out. You gave them more than money and you gave them more than things. You gave them self-confidence, as you said, but you've also given them self-respect and dignity, which to me are the two most important things we can give any individual. So do you feel that your efforts in that area have paid off in the long term and will continue forward? As in, do you think that the people of Nigeria will continue to have a positive opinion of the police who work for them? And will the police continue that trend of self-respect and self-improvement? Well, Cecilia, uh, that is one problem that we have in our system, mm -hmm. sustainability of policies. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it depends on the leadership. Uh, when you don't have a succession plan, when you don't have control over your, success, your successor, then it means whoever is thrown up uh, comes in with his own you know, uh, ideas about how to drive a system. Mm -hmm. If they don't sustain what you have left on time, then you discover that there, there are usually gaps you know, that are left. And uh, that is one area where uh, we have serious problem in Africa. We are not able to uh, have sustainability of policies. Whoever comes wants to experiment with different policies. And when you are not able to deepen the policies you have put in place over a period of time, then you sometimes you discover that you have reversals. And uh, I think that is exactly what, has, what happens in most African countries. Uh, well, and I think that's something, as you know, Agnes and I work with uh, nonprofit groups as our client base, and we see that a lot, uh, especially with strategic plans. As a new chairman of the board comes in or chairwoman of the board comes in, they have their own ideas, and it, and it ceases to be about the plan and becomes about that individual. So I, I completely agree with you on sustainability. And it's something Agnes and I think about a lot and talk about a lot. What, what are your thoughts on that, Agnes? Well, I totally agree. And, and I'm just going to shift the conversation a little bit because I'm, I'm very interested in life after retirement for Dr. Orasi. And he's retired now. And Dr. Orasi, I want you to share with us what's life been for you as a leader after retirement? I know you're doing a lot of work. You've set up your own consulting practice. So talk to us a little bit about that because I really want to give hope to our leaders, uh, leaders like us, upcoming leaders and leaders who already are in existence to kind of strive to be that compassionate leader and to 
realize that there is life after retirement and you can even do greater things. You can impact people even better after retirement. So I, I kind of want to get your take on that, Dr. Rassi. Uh, thank you very much, Agnes. Uh, before I retired, I, I told myself that I was going to start documenting most of my experiences in 35 years of policing, that I would not just allied to, you know, to go to waste. I'll put it in book forms, allow the younger ones who are coming in to read them, you know, benefit from my experiential knowledge about the system that I was in 35 years. So I, I started doing that, documenting most of, uh, you know, my policies and uh, actions while I was still in the system. And when I left, I did not stop there. I, I still continued public, uh, um, public speaking, going to strategic institutions uh, like NIPS, uh, the Defense College, the Institute of Security Studies. I go to share my thoughts, you know, with them on a constant basis. And I also learn too, because whenever I go to those, uh, I have such platforms, I discover that some of my ideas are no longer contemporary. Mm. Uh, so from the, from the question and answer sections, I just discovered that I am also developing myself. And uh, that is how it has been. Yes, I, I, I run a legal practice, but that legal practice is not the passion that I actually have. I have the passion for security sector reforms. So I have joined other people, both within and outside the system, in developing protocols, you know, trying to see how can, you know, we have a police force that is respected, that is professional, that is, you know, competent, that you have a problem, you go to a police uh, station or a police officer, and you feel confident that, you know, your, your problem is going to be solved. And also, I, I am very, very, I'm still interested in seeing police officers having self-confidence, uh, mm -hmm. having the ability to, you know, uh, share their thoughts, you know, be, be sympathetic to members of the public. Uh, and uh, one area the Nigerian police force or African police force had issues was that the establishment of the, the police forces in Africa was based on force. You know, they, they were established to uh, allow the colonialists exploit the mineral resources. So now, I'm, I'm so many years after independence, we think that there must be a paradigm shift. You know, mm. you, 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 you now have start to have that, you know, social content of policing, where you see the people as your own people, you treat them as one. Uh, because before you became a policeman, you were a civilian. So when you retire, so you are going to go back, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you, you just have to be nice to people because you are still, mm -hmm. you are likely to meet them when you leave the system, you know, of policing. Very profound. Thank you for that thought process. I think you pretty much covered it all as far as that empathy in, in leading and even after 
you know, after this years of, I mean, after retiring, you're still carrying on an impact and knowledge, leading and, and, and providing a forum for upcoming leaders and even leaders to learn from what you're doing. And then the same process, developing yourself. I, I think that you're definitely an example of a great leader. You know, again, I go back to that difference. There is this difference between leaders and compassionate leaders and compassionate leaders are usually great leaders. So you're definitely an example of that. And we, we definitely appreciate you. Over to, over to you, Cecilia. Oh, great. Thank you, Agnes. And I so appreciate those comments, Dr. Rossi, because you are making sure that your knowledge survives into the future and is going to help other people. So that leads us to another one of our favorite topics, which is mentoring. So do, do you see a role of mentoring in what you're doing as you continue your passion for improvement in the security area? Yes, absolutely, Cecilia. Um, whenever I go to deliver a paper in any of these institutions, or I meet with, you know, uh, I, I go to give a talk or engage in security sector reforms, I could see a lot of these young men, they are, they, they, they are, they are hungry for knowledge. Mm -hmm. they, they, they look at you, they admire you, they say, oh, I, I wish I can talk like you. I wish I can have a, a, you know, a pool of knowledge you know, to drink from just you know, the way you are giving it to us. So you see, it's, uh, the more contact you have with them, the more you are able to, you know, to win them to your side. And uh, most of them that uh, I have been associated with, they are already coming up within the system. And I, I still watch them. Even sometimes when they give interviews on television or so, I call them. I say, oh, this thing you said was very, very correct. But there was a gap. Next time when you are going to say it, say it this way so that it will be able to have the impact, you know, that you actually deserve. And they are always very happy that I still keep in touch with them. I still am interested in what they are doing. And I continue to, you know, encourage them that they can always do better and be greater than me, you know, with time. That's fantastic. Where, that is fantastic, first of all. Thank you. Uh, because, again, that's one of our favorite topics, right, Agnes? Mentoring and helping other people develop. So, uh, Dr. Asi, we're coming close to the end of our time with you today, and we want to thank you again. But we always like to ask all of our guests uh, to kind of summarize what is it you would like the audience to take away today? And if, if they can contact you later, what might be a good way to contact you? Thank you very much, Cecilia and Agnes. Um, what I just want to say is that everybody who has an opportunity to get to a strategic position where you can uh, effect policies that will touch the lives of people, you should make sure that you don't miss that opportunity because all of us will have a terminal date. Uh, you come into a system, before you know it, 35 years is gone. And you start asking yourself, what did I do? Well, are there imperishable legacies that I have left behind that, you know, will endure for a very long time? So it is very, very important for uh, leaders to be able to leave legacies that you can feel, you can touch, people can talk about, they can see them. They are not, you know, things that uh, you just conjure from the air. And... Uh, the, the, the carrot and stick approach too 
in terms of uh, you know leadership is always very well. When somebody has done something that you you feel is not right, you know punish the person, but also you know draw him close to say next time you don't do that. Uh, that is only the time you will be able to have uh, the moral latitude to be able to say, oh, I gave you sufficient time to change. I trained you. I gave you welfare packages and I wanted you to be professional. So why have you not become professional? So I, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity. And uh, anybody who wants to reach me can reach me on my email address, uh, soloarase at hotmail.com. Thank you so much. Uh, I am also, um, okay, thank you very much. I'm sorry, I please share your next thought. I, I just want to thank you for sharing your actual direct email address with our audience. That's fantastic. Do you also have a website perhaps people could visit? Uh, yes, uh, so the soloarasa at hotmail.com also have the website for, you know, the, the law firm and uh, also the security consultancy uh, company is uh, solar security at hotmail at yahoo.com solar security consult thank you so much agnes any closing thoughts before we end for today hmm? oh it looks like things are happening Okay, well, we'll wrap up for today. It looks like Dr. Rossi is being called away to no, another meeting. No, I just wanted to echo your thoughts and, and thank Dr. Rossi for this time. We've definitely uh, enjoyed your time. We enjoyed your insight. And uh, hopefully you will be able to guest our show one more time very near the near future. Uh, but we just wanted to appreciate you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Yes, thank you Thank you, you so for much. having me. Thank, thank you, you for having me, Cecilia and Agnes. Thank you. Thank you are you. most welcome, and we do look forward to uh, having you back. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, oh well, it's time Thank for us to go. Me. You're welcome. <laughs> it's, I almost forgot about the ending. It's been such a wonderful conversation, but it's time for us to go rogue, as we like to say every week. Uh, wonderful conversation again with Dr. Solomon Arasi, security expert and leadership expert. Uh, We'll be back with another episode the first week of June. We're taking Memorial Day off. Uh, Well-deserved, I think, all around for all of us in the world today. And as Agnes and I like to say, take 15 minutes and talk to somebody because you might learn something. So goodbye for now, everyone, and we'll see you again next week or in two weeks. Bye. Bye.